Wonderful grace of Jesus. It's very good. And uh, as we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we've noticed there at the end of that chapter that Paul gets to the challenge between looking at the, the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And there he, or God through him, specifies there are prerequisites for ministry. God doesn't call, and we looked at this last time, many sophisticated people, toffee nose, many self-sufficient people, many high society folks. He doesn't call many, but he does call some. Praise the Lord for those that are willing who have means in this world who humble themselves and become Christians. Praise God for the rich people that do that. And there are those examples we looked at in the New Testament. You know, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, John Mark's parents, Paul. He, he, he was a sophisticated intellectual, but he got humbled and saved. Praise God. We wouldn't have the New Testament, but for his mind that he committed to God, called himself the chief of sinners, got saved, turned around. <clears throat> I, look at, I look at some of my kin, my kin. They can outsmart me in an argument. But I, I, can, I can think about it afterward and I can say, no, no, that's wrong, biblically wrong. And I ask myself, why, Lord, didn't you choose them? to become the preachers and the pastors. They could do a fine job. They could put people in their box <laughs> when they argue against them. And I feel inadequate at times to be able to do that. But the Lord, with the Lord's help, but he just humbled you and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I am what I am and the Lord made me what I am. I'll be used the way I can be. Ah. <clears throat> But God doesn't call many of those sorts of people because they rely on themselves to get God's work done and not on the Lord. That's the whole purpose. It comes down in the conclusion to verse 31 and says that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Whatever you do, whether you eat and drink, he said in chapter 10 and verse 31 of this same book, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. That's the purpose of it all. The ministry is that he might receive the glory in the end of all things when it's all said and done. Who does God call? Well, he calls the nobodies to, do, to put to silence, as he said in the, and I don't want to rehash the sermon from last time, but the foolish to confound the gifted ones, the feeble to confound the great ones, the failures to confound the grand, the grand ones. And that's verse 27 and 28. Those with no family or friends, those with no fa fame or fortune, those with no face or form. <clears throat> and why God? Why does he do this? And according to verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Exactly that, <laughs> that he might receive the glory. Now we come to verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ, 
Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And you'll notice there the sermon topic for tonight. Christ is made unto us, but of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us. That's the topic for tonight. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is made unto us these things. And we're looking at these four things tonight, made unto us. God had to reduce Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300 so that the Gideon and his army didn't get the glory. God had to humble Peter as he was, as he was told, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this unto you, where he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, and Peter, whoa, <laughs> his chest stuck out. And then only a few verses later, the Lord had to turn to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. That was a humbling experience for Peter. He was so blown up about and puffed up about what he'd just heard about himself. Then he had to, when, when Peter said, No, you're not going to the cross. He got so, so inflated about himself, he was challenging the Lord's words, the Lord of glory's words, that he had to go and die on the cross. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you bless it to us as we look at it. It is wonderful. It is challenging sometimes, Lord, when we see, we we think of ourselves as we ought not to think. We think ourselves as somebody's when, Lord, you are everything. And we just need to humble ourselves in obedience unto you and let you receive the glory as we are humbled before you. Let us humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you may lift us up and let us submit our talents and all that we are to you that you might receive the glory in the long term and eternally bless us now as we meet around your word in jesus name amen okay he is made unto us wisdom notice that the first one in verse 30 made unto us wisdom to transform our minds. Not Solomon's wisdom, but Christ's wisdom. Wisdom of Solomon, yes, it is noted in the scripture, the wisest man that ever lived, humanly speaking, but not compared with Christ. Not Solomon, but Christ, through his mastery of the scripture and commitment to their inerrancy, he was able to confute and confound the people that came against him. And uh, Troy's touching on it in the adult class this morning. I thought it was appropriate because this is what I was looking at for the study, or part of the study tonight. As the greatest minds of the Lord's day came against the Lord Jesus Christ, It showed their mind against his mind, their human wisdom against the wisdom of God. And it's in chapter 22 of the book of Matthew that was referred to this morning. And so I've written here, remember when the Jewish leaders pitted their best brains against the Lord and lambasted him with three loaded questions to try to embarrass him in the front of the people. This is what they do. They do it in front of people to try to put you down. But they're the ones 
that had egg on their face when it finished. (laughs) They're the ones that were put in their place by the sheer wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, our brain begins to spin when we get one after the other after the other. I don't know if you've been in a court of law or something like that in a place of position, maybe up the front and the questions are coming thick and fast and you're trying to answer them and there's a lot of things you'd like to say and don't get them out right. But the Lord had it all under control. Let's look at these things. Matthew 22 and see the wisdom of God pitted against the pitiful wisdom of man and the best that man could offer. You say, well, they were old people. They were way back then, huh? Just because it was a long time ago doesn't mean they were dummies. (laughs) You go up against them and try to answer the questions they had. Chapter 22 and verse 15. Then when the... Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent unto him their disciples, the Herodians. So they they were deliberately planning and plotting to do this. They sent the Herodians in saying, Master. And they were buttering up the Lord Jesus to start. We know that thou art true and teach us the way of God in truth. You know sneaking in the back way <laughs> neither carest thou for any man uh, had that right for thou regardest not the persons of men they'd listened to him long enough to know that he didn't take seriously the, the opinions of men unless it was according to the word tell us therefore what th- thinkest thou is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not now, that's a bit of a question even for today should we submit to the government or not folks <laughs> Okay, good answer. (laughs) Only if it doesn't contravene the word of God and make us do disobedience to that. And as Troy said this morning, you know about the, the, the day of the Lord Jesus, these religious leaders were concentrating on getting rid of the Romans. Jesus come to correct their hearts. Isn't that what you're talking about? They were thinking of getting rid of the Romans. They had it all wrong. If they got their hearts right, they would have got rid of the Romans. But until they got that right, it wasn't on. Instead of they crucified, the one was trying to get their heart right, their heart right with God. And so they lost the whole plot. You know what? Today we've got people running around trying to get rid of the political influence on the world and on Christians and saying they're doing this and they're doing that. And I, I know they're warned, good to be warned about what's going on. But they need to get their heart right and start looking at what God is doing in the world. He's about to send his son to the world. He's about to bring the tribulation. Let's warn people about getting saved. Let's concentrate on what he's doing. Let's get right with God. Let's walk right with him. Instead of being worried about what they might do, throw us in jail, and they might. And talking to Barney about that this afternoon, yeah. They may well do that. Persecution may well come very soon. 
But we, and it might be good. We might go love the church in China underground. It may not come to that, it may. But if it does, it'll make the church, the real church, grow. And it'll identify the true Christians. <clears throat> and so the church everywhere is concentrating on get this burden off my back. You know, we don't want to be like this when it should be concentrating on the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's going to do soon, and, and our own hearts and our relationship with him. Instead, we're fuddling around about everything else around the edges. Anyway, that wasn't even planned. <laughs> the Herodians, the royalists, the, these people are called. They, <laughs> they were the political stirrers. They were. They tried to trap him with a racial, radical issue. Should we pay taxes? We talked a bit about taxes. Tax time, isn't it? Should we pay taxes? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? You know what I find today? That Christians who don't want to submit to the government and its laws today are often the ones that have got their hand out when the government's willing to give support. Isn't it interesting? That's hypocrisy. If you want to take from the government, you give to the government when it's time to pay your taxes. And that is almost like you're not a Christian if that's the way you're going to live. That's, that's Phariseeism. That's what they were doing back then. Is it right? Don't stick your hand out to take if you're not willing to pay. Because somebody has to pay. You folk who are working all those hours and hard work at your jobs and paying your taxes are supporting these people that are sticking their hands out. And when you hear of the Bill Gates hardly paying a dollar tax for the, all the time, they're billionaires, I can't wait for the day when James chapter 5 talks about comes. And they are held to account for all the people they've made to live in poverty all the labourers they've had under their care and they haven't paid and all the labourers that have paid their taxes and have supported the government and the system of this world. You know, bring it on, Lord. <laughs> come soon. What do we say? Maranatha. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Yeah, Maranatha. That's what that means, come. Even so, come. The Herodians, and they go, they go on, and, and the Lord with the, <laughs> the wisdom of God... <laughs> whose inscriptions on this coin they didn't even know they wouldn't have pulled a dollar out would they <laughs> they wouldn't have pulled it out here's Queen Elizabeth on it <laughs> and they say unto him Caesar's render therefore the things that are Caesar's when they had heard these things they marvelled and left him and went their way well that's the Herodians done with that's the wisdom of man out the door there well Let's get together again. The same day came to him the Sadducees. This is the plan of the Pharisees, as is in verse 15. They say there is no resurrection. The wisdom of man came in, coming again against him, and they asked him, you see, here, here are the enemies, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One believe in the resurrection, the Pharisees. One don't, the Sadducees. But they're all united together to bring down the Lord Jesus. They have a common cause, don't they? And uh, they asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if man die, he had no children, he marries his, you know, they marry, and the, the seven of them marry. Uh, whose 
wife will she be in the resurrection? Verse 28. You do error not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. The Lord just answered a whole heap of questions about eternity, didn't he? About wedding, marriage and all the things. You know, we're going to stay married for eternity. What happens? Ah, just there. He answered it all. They neither marry nor given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read they that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac? It's all in the present tense. What is he saying? They're still alive. They're dead, but they're alive. Where are they? In heaven. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And when the multitude heard it, the crowd are listening in. As I said, they did this before the crowd to try and embarrass him. They were astonished at his doctrine. Wow, good one. We've been waiting for someone to put these guys down for a long time and you did it in public, Lord. <laughs> Keep doing it. Aren't you glad when somebody who's a smart aleck <laughs> is put in their place by someone that does it right? So the, the Herodians, the royalists, the Sadducees, the rationalist, no resurrection, this is a life only, live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you might die, is the Sadducees. And they were so sad, you see, because they didn't believe there's no life after death. And folks, there is life after death. You are going to be raised. You're going to be raised even if you're not a Christian, but only to suffer eternally. You read Revelation 19 to 21 and you will find that true. Flee from the wrath to come. Don't try to rationalise like the Pharisees. There's nothing. I don't have to give account to God. We will give an account. And you'll be the sad, sad individual if you don't believe it. Then there was the wisdom of the Pharisees that came. And they're in verse 34. And, and, and notice it's just before chapter 23. <laughs> All the, This is no coincidence. Chapter 23, what happened in chapter 23? Whoa, whoa, and the Lord just came along. They finally just said no to the Lord Jesus. And then there's that one on the video this morning, your house is left to you desolate. You've finally done it. To the Jews, the Lord said, that's it. You've had every opportunity. And folks today and those listening in, one day it'll come to it to a point in your life where God said enough is enough and that's it. You've had every opportunity to believe. Don't make it the last one. Believe while you have an opportunity to believe. And this is all pictured here in these chapters as you tie them all together. And they had their last opportunity and he turned away from them and said, no more, you've had enough. I've had enough of you. You've had enough opportunity. And, and you know what? <laughs> Two, as Troy said this morning, 2,000 years you've had, they've been out of it. They've suffered terribly. But praise God for his grace. Because of Abrahamic covenant, and God keeps his promises, he promised to Abraham, to which, may I say, 
half of the world's population relate. Half of the world's population claim him as their daddy. <laughs> if you're an American, dad if you're an Australian. <laughs> half of them say he's my dad. You know that? <laughs> Father, Abraham. We don't sing that song because it's a bit, you know, it's a bit iffy. Father Abraham, Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. Now you've got it in your head, haven't you? <laughs> Some of you haven't heard it. We used to sing it sometimes. I don't know where it's gone. <laughs> don't look for it. <laughs> it's uh, somewhere it went. But pr- <laughs> these guys claim this. Hey, just because you claim it, if it is, it's a, an Islamic person, can they claim fa- Father Abraham? Yeah. Because they can trace their lineage back to Father Abraham. <laughs> can a Jew say it? Yep. Can, can a Church of England say it? Yep. Can a Baptist say it? Yep. Can any denomination say it? Yep. 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 Because yep. <laughs> it all goes back through the Bible to Abraham. <laughs> because through him the Lord Jesus is born and we're all related through him in, in, by faith. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we're looking at the, the, the ritualist or the religionist, the Pharisees. Verse 34. When they heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Let's have another go. One of them, a lawyer, said, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment of the law? We'll get him. <laughs> and they said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, he said, with all your heart, with all your soul. This is the first and greatest, and the second is like, you love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And uh, he answered them well. This is the wisdom of God pitted against the wisdom of man. You see... Christ is unto us, made unto us wisdom. When you've got Christ, you've got wisdom. Without Christ, you make foolish, silly, stupid, may I say, decisions. And even in Christ, if you start acting, if you are a Christian and you start living carnally, you make some silly decisions that you pay for dearly in your life to come on earth and in eternity. You can still make silly decisions as Christians when you're walking as you shouldn't. David made some stupid decisions, didn't he? Solomon made some stupid decisions, didn't he? But then you talk about Daniel. He didn't. You talk about other men in the Old Testament, of which didn't Joseph. He didn't make silly decisions, and he didn't have to pay for them. And they're great examples of what a Christian should do, and often doesn't do. But the Pharisees, he tried, they tried to trap him with the rabbinical issues, which is the greatest commandment. The Sadducees tried to trap him with the rationalistic issues, the resurrection. The Herodians tried to trap him with the racial issues, should we pay taxes? You know, we're the Jews. We, we don't need to pay taxes to those, those Gentiles, those Romans. And the scribes, the recordists, they're really spoken of in chapter 23, they recorded these things, tried to trap him with their recorded issues, the reasonalists. It is written. They rested the scriptures. They tried to twist the scriptures. We won't go into them. But Jesus dealt with the relevant issues in verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, 
<laughs> While they were all still gathered and still brewing about the answers he gave them in his divine wisdom, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? You've asked your questions, now I've got one for you. They said unto him, they fell right into the trap. <laughs> the son of David, of course. Haven't you read? No. Glad you said so. He said unto them, How then doth David in the spirit call him Lord? I mean, what, what father calls his son Lord? That doesn't happen, particularly in the Jewish culture. <laughs> then he said, How then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my, and capitalizing and all that, if you notice. Sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David, <laughs> just wait, said the Lord, his son, David's son. The Lord said to his dad from a few generations earlier, just wait and I'll give you a position in the kingdom until I make the enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forward. You know, the Lord is all wisdom. And if we, and remember where this is coming from in chapter 1 of Corinthians. It's saying in this chapter, Paul is saying, you're going after this leader or that leader and the other leader. You're trying to run the church by worldly wisdom and it's not right. God chooses the foolish things of this world. And so forget the wisdom of man. Run the church by the wisdom of the Lord. Listen to the poorer people. Listen to the humble people. Listen to those that have submitted themselves to the word of God. Listen to the word of God. <clears throat> so the Lord putting them to silence with his divine omniscient wisdom. Such can be ours in Christ. Instead of relying on our own mental agility and ability, we can draw down on the infinite resources of the bank of heaven, true wisdom made accessible to us in Christ. And in Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, in whom, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ. Verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Watch out for the clever people, the intellectual people. And if you've got brains, and if you've got intellect, and you use it to bring other people down and put other people in their place, you're a mean person. Don't do it. Even if you're tempted to do it, don't do it. Because you could be doing the devil's work. Just humble yourself, bite your tongue, and let the Lord do it if they need to be put in their place. In verse 18, let no man, this is Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which they have not seen, vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. And they're using their mind to think it through, not God and his wisdom. Verse 22, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments of men and doctrines of men. They've concocted these things through their own thoughts. 
the fleshly mind. Verse 16, let the, this is chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let the Lord's word dwell in you. Let it be your wisdom. Um, Christ is made unto us wisdom to transform our minds. Christ is made unto us, the second thing in verse 30 is righteousness, to transform our morals. Firstly, to transform our minds and to transform our morals. I read this. The world's standards of righteousness or right and wrong are relative. We are living in a day when right and wrong is different to what it was just 10 years ago. If you went back 50 years ago, it was very different then. In fact, (laughs) say 100 years ago, people that are being arrested for saying things like in the pulpits that they'd like to arrest us for today, the ones that are arresting us would be the ones being arrested. That's how far it's changed. But it's all relative. Cultural changes have taken place. The world standards of right and wrong are relative, cultural and accommodating. The world calls wrong right and right wrong. God's standards are absolute, universal and inflexible. Amen. And are based on his absolute holiness. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus took the law of Moses, passed it through the prism of his own mind, said John Phillips, broke it down into the pristine colours of the rainbow and lifted it to the highest heaven, where the law dealt basically with sins. He dealt with sin where the law went after the fruits. He went straight to the root instead of the fruit. Where the law dealt with wrongful deeds, he dealt with the wrong desires. Then having lifted the law far beyond the reach of the best and the, the most earnest and zealous of men, he lived it out himself, the Lord Jesus did, in immaculate perfection all the days of his life. Our righteousness, by comparison, is like the desert, disease-ridden shirt of a leper as filthy rags. His righteousness won the undiluted commendation of his Father in heaven. <clears throat> The genius of the gospel lies in the fact that he clothes us in his righteousness when we come to him for salvation. Isn't that good? Isn't that great? (laughs) He clothes us with his righteousness to transform our morals. How many good deeds can you do to get to heaven, folks? None, none, none. What does it say in Jeremiah 64? All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Filthy rags. I have said before, you know, I wear the clothes to church, then I wear them to work, and then I tear them up for rags, and then I use them for cleaner things, and I use them for dirtier things, and, and they're ultimately put in the bin, covered with grease and oil and muck and stuff, and they're filthy. That's our works. <laughs> That's what the Lord looks at our the best we offer. And religious people come with those sort of things to say, here's all my good deeds, aren't I a good boy? <laughs> and the Lord's absolutely abhors it. That's why he accepts the sinner. <laughs> he can go down to, you know, Zacchaeus' house. 
and, and there meet with a man that is ridden with sin but at least acknowledges it. He can't go down to the Pharisee's house who thinks he's so good. Look at me, Lord, I fast, I do this and I do that. And, and puffs his chest out. No, no. Well, there's different types of righteousness. There is law righteousness in Matthew chapter 19. And there's the rich young ruler in chapter 19 and verse 16. And behold, one came and said to him, Good master, watch. These people that come to him always buttering him up. Good, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So he's looking for what law can I obey that I might have eternal life? Why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. But if thou will be, <coughs> will enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, which? And Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not be a false witness, honour your father and mother, love thy neighbour as thyself. And the young man <coughs> said unto him, all these things have I kept my, from my youth up. So he's kept the law. He's been a good boy. He's been a goody two-shoes, you know. <laughs> What lack I yet? The Lord knew this man's heart. And the young man didn't know the Lord knew his heart. He knew him through and through. (laughs) Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go sell what thou hast and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasures in heaven. Come follow me. When the young man heard it, he, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So law righteousness couldn't get this man to heaven. And he the Lord touched on the point that hurt the most. He's his possessions. This couldn't get him to heaven. All his good deeds and he wasn't willing to give up the last. He's going to hang on to his money and perish eternally. You can't keep the whole law. The Lord said if you keep the whole law and break what? One law, you're guilty of all the laws. <laughs> law righteousness. What about religious righteousness? In Matthew 23 and verse 14. Religious righteousness. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses for one pretense, make long prayers, and so forth and so on. The Lord's woeing these. He's not wooing them. (laughs) He's telling them how bad they are. Verse 23, And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, ye pay tithes of mint and cumin. They were religious to the hilt. They did everything. that They wore the robes. They had the smoke in the things. They waved around. But they weren't saved people. They had the right connections, but they weren't saved people religious. Is there a lot of religions today that do a lot of things? A lot of good things? Yep. Yep. This didn't and wasn't and will not get a person to heaven. Religious righteousness won't get a person to heaven. What about works righteousness? Well, in Luke chapter 18, we're really going fast through all these just to mention them. Luke 18 and verse 11. We read there the Pharisee, and we referred to this bloke a little bit ago. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as this other other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. <laughs> well, he did. He did well. I notice what's there. I, 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 me, me. <laughs> I do all these works. Is that going to get you to heaven? 
No. You can work your finger to the bone and even if you lived 10,000 years and worked all the time, you wouldn't go to heaven. That's Cain worship. <laughs> I bought all my fruits and God didn't accept me, so I'll murder my brother because he did it the right way. That's works righteousness. <clears throat> and most religions are works righteousness. There's self-righteousness. Isaiah 64 verse 6. If, you, if we're challenged, any of us are challenged, we all think we're better than the other bloke. But all our righteousness, as we've said before, 64 of Isaiah verse 6, are as filthy rags. When you compare yourself with somebody, uh, you know, somebody, who do you compare yourself with? Who do we compare ourselves with? Joe Blow that's worse than us. Why don't you compare yourself with somebody else that's better than you? Because <laughs> it makes you look bad. <laughs> Self-righteousness does that. <clears throat> but then there's Christ's righteousness. That's the righteousness we need to get to heaven. How good are you? <laughs> As alienation and reconciliation are couplets doctrinally, so are righteousness and imputation. This goes with that. In the Bible, confusion reigns in religious circles of how to be made righteous. Baptists, who are not exactly right all the time, they say baptism will make you righteous. And along with the Church of Christ, baptism will regeneration. Some Baptists go off on a limb unless you're done it our way and gone in our baptismal waters, you're not in the bride of Christ. Hogwash. <laughs> not true. The works, what religion or what cult or ism says you've got to work your way there. Any in mind? Seventh day of <laughs> Quite a few. Quite a few. <laughs> Sacraments, what about sacraments? The Catholics, what about ordinance keeping and law keeping? Which one says you've got to go this way? The Jew? What about catechisms? Anglican and Catholic, Church of England and Catholic. Confessionals, you've got to do it this way. Catholic. Ah, belong to their denomination, well, most of them. Monasticism, Catholic. Ritualism, many of them. But the Bible says it is simply by faith that righteousness, the righteousness of God is imputed to us. Look at Romans chapter 4. Let's see what it says. 4 verse 1 to 3 What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works he has something of which to glory but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted or imputed to him for righteousness. There it is, the simple answer that so many miss that Martin Luther got. <laughs> the just shall live by faith. 
and without faith it is impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Have you come this way for righteousness? Christ is our righteousness. This is what we're looking at tonight. <laughs> that Christ is, as, as we started back there in the book of what, Corinthians, that Christ <coughs> is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. He is our righteousness. Without this, you're not going to go to heaven. You must believe by faith that Jesus is your righteousness. It is tragic that this blessed truth has been muddled, confused, tortured, twisted and disputed over throughout centuries of wrangling and strife. What's your credit like with God? If God is the great creditor, are you in the red or in the black as far as he is concerned? The whole idea of a credit card, if you've got one in your pocket, I have, and I'm not in the Antichrist system, is based, and, and years ago it was all a rage that, yeah, you're, you don't do that because you're, anyway. The whole idea of a credit card is based on a person's credit rating, meaning how much debt the lender thinks you can handle. They, the lender, want you to pay as little off so that they can make money off the interest on the unpaid balance. And it's terrible, the interest they charge. You can only borrow as much as your credit rating allows you if you go to the bank to get a loan. They, in the bank sector, even have tried, in some countries, of having a negative interest rate where the bank pays you to take out a loan and charge you if you deposit money. Think that one through? It may come, but I don't think so. I think it's going to go the other way soon. Romans 4 asks us to consider how much credit we have with God. How much credit does everybody, when they're born, have with God? How much does God owe us when we're born in this world? Nothing. We're in debt to God. He brought us into the world. He gave us life. He gives us our soul and our spirit. He gives us our mortal life. He gives us our character, our features, our talents. We're in debt to him up to the eyeballs, we say. <laughs> we're, we're spiritually bankrupt. We're born spiritually bankrupt. Romans 2 and 3 tell us that. And as we live our life, we spend our life going into debt. 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 Debt, debt, debt to God. And the harder you try and the more you try to work your way out of debt, the more you get into the red and the harder you struggle. Our passage here tells us how to get out of debt with God. How to get in the black with God. Romans 4. And it's so simple. If only... Religious people would listen to it. Only unsafe people would listen to it. What saith the scripture? Verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He had the credit of God, credit to his account, input to his account. <clears throat> so Paul here calls two people to the witness stand, Abraham and David. Abraham, the greatest of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. David, the greatest of the kings of the Old Testament. And as I mentioned before, that Abraham is 
revered by over half of the world's population by many people. The rumour of the Jews of Abraham's faith, no, of Abraham's righteousness, is that he got it by works, and they still crow about that. The Jews hold Abraham up as the premium example of a man who had been saved by his works, but they haven't seen that he wasn't, and Paul is telling them he wasn't. They crow about it. The Catholics crow about their deeds. The Seventh-day Adventists crow about their diocesan days. The Jehovah's crow about being part of the 144,000. The Islamics crow about being a martyr. The mainline denominations crow about the social gospel and all the things I do to get to heaven. The Salvation Army, bless them, they crow about doing all good and they do do good things. But it's not going to get them to heaven. They, do, they should do it because they are going to heaven. The Buddhists, the Hindus, the Jews, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Baptist brothers, they will crow about this, this and this, and if they're trusting in that to get to heaven, they're not going. If they trust in their, oh, I'm elected of God, I'm chosen of God, I'm predestinated by God, they're not going if that's what they're trusting. It's in what their choice of faith in the Lord. As it says... Cometh this blessedness then, in verse 9 of Romans 4, upon the circumcision? See, they were crowing about their circumcision, the Jews were. No, the law has stopped every mouth. If you're crowing about anything else than your faith in the Lord Jesus and saying, He is the one that gives me righteousness, He is the one I'm trusting in, then you're crowing about the wrong thing. <coughs> God is not impressed with our works. <coughs> All that touches God is our faith in his Son, the Lord Jesus. He saves our soul. His righteousness is given to us. What was the cry of the Reformation? The just shall live by faith. I have to add this, I can't help it. I'm going to crow about something right now. Jill smiling under her mask. I ain't got my phone on me. (laughs) <laughs> on Thursday, Friday night, wasn't it? We had the seven boy grandkids, seven. And my brother sent me a, a, a four pictures, four pictures of Emerson relatives that my niece had looked up and checked out. She went down the Emerson line and found Elizabeth Annie Emerson, who's... Maiden name was Elizabeth Annie Wesley, whose uncle, uncles were Charles and John Wesley, <laughs> the Wesleyan Methodist people. Oh, I can crow. I'm related to the Wesleys now, <laughs> and I didn't know until I was about 70. <laughs> and you say, well, I wished I could preach like those Wesleyan Methodists did back then. <laughs> And if you did, you'd, if I did, you'd probably leave the church because <laughs> they preached hell fire. 